0: I remember, I remember several years ago, uh, I woke up one morning and I went into the, to the hall bathroom. And in our, our hall bathroom, we had a light above the bathtub that kind of brought in some natural light. And so as I'm in there, uh, I see this shadow on, on the ground and I'm thinking, man, what in the world is that? And so I'm kind of looking around and then I look up and I see the shower curtain. And on the shower curtain, there is this huge spider. Uh, if I'm exaggerating, it's only slightly, but that, that that thing was about the size of a Chevy Tahoe. I mean, it was huge, okay? And, and, and so I, 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 I don't know about you guys, but I don't like spiders. I, I don't kill spiders at my house. Amanda, my wife, she's the the, the spider killer uh, at the house. I can kill a roach, I can kill a fly, and I can kill a wasp, but I, I don't like to mess with no spider. So I immediately see this spider, and, and I, I yell out, Amanda! You know, I'm looking for my wife. Amanda, you got to get in here now! Amanda, I need you! Amanda! And there's no answer. There's no answer. And then it dawned on me, Amanda's already left for the day. She's already left for the day, and so I, I wondered what I should do. You know, I said, man, should I just shut the door, you know what I mean, and not worry with the spider, just kind of let him have it his way? But then I started thinking... I better not do that because I've seen on the internet where spiders will crawl in your ear while you're sleeping and lay eggs. And, and I didn't want that to happen uh, to me. And you might have seen that on the internet. It'll freak you out, man. And so I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want that to happen. And so uh, I, I didn't know what to do, but I hear this voice inside of my head say, man up, man up. And I was like, I, ain't got the, I don't have nothing to prove to you, Robert. And Robert's like, man up. And so I was like, I said, okay. I'm about to show that spider whose house this is. I'm about to show that spider what's up. And so I grabbed my flip-flop, because that's what I wear all the time. I grabbed my flip-flop, and I was like, man, I'm about to, that spider about to get got. I'm about to get it. And so I'm practicing swinging, kind of like a baseball player, but I got a, I got a sandal, you know what I mean? So it's more like this. And so and so I'm, I'm thinking, man, on the count of three, that spider's about to get it. And so I'm like, one, two, two and three-quarters, two and a half. I know that's wrong order, but I was really nervous, you know. And so then I said three, and I swang with all the might that I had to to get that spider. And so as I'm swinging to get that spider, the problem, that spider moved up a little bit on the curtain. And so I was already in mid-swing, so I couldn't stop. And so I missed the spider, uh, because I was still swinging I hit the shower curtain okay and when I hit the shower curtain I hit the shower curtain with so much force that what it did was launch that spider right at me all I saw was this thing coming at me like that and I, I, I heard it laugh too when it was coming and so how many of y'all ever seen the movie The Matrix with Keanu Reeves where he's kind of dodging bullets and stuff like that that's what happened to me except I was dodging that spider and I hit I hit the ground, and I hit the shower curtain with so much force that it launched that spider into the hallway. Well, I slammed the bathroom door because I needed to get my breath. You know what I'm saying? like, big spider, big spider going to kill me, big spider. And so then once I get my breath, I'm kind of I'm peeking out the door, you know what I mean, because I've got to I gotta do something, you know what I mean? I've got to do something. And so I, I don't see the spider. I never found that spider. So we sold that house and moved out. And uh, I know the person who bought the house didn't stay there long before they sold it. So I'm not saying it's because of that spider. But what I'm saying is it was because of that spider uh, is what I think. So, but here's, man, that day I was mad. I was mad at that spider. I was mad at Amanda, my wife, because she wasn't there when I needed her most. Everybody say, oh, thank you so much, man. I was mad at her. I was thinking, I know Amanda saw that spider. Amanda had been in that bathroom before I went in that bathroom. I know she saw that spider. It was big enough to blot out the sun. It was casting a shadow on the ground. She saw that spider. I thought, she left that spider there because she wanted that spider to kill me. She she wanted me to die so she could get my insurance money. She don't love me no more. I was so mad that day at that spider and at, at Amanda. Man, I was I was mad. And there are times in our lives and all of our lives where we get mad we get mad at people who we feel like have offended us we get mad at people just because we assume that somewhere along the line somehow they have offended us it's true man think about our nation man we live in a society where everybody is mad at everybody they're they're mad at everybody we live in a society where everybody is offended we live in a society where everybody's Boycotting, everybody's protesting, everybody's upset. I'm, I'm serious, man. We live in a society where everybody seems to be so bitter. You know what I mean? You ever seen somebody's got that resting bitter face? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it, it, it's it's like that. We oh you offended me, oh you offended me, and then we get offended because somebody's offended. Well, if they're offended, then I'm offended. Everybody's just offended, and we're so angry. And so we'll lash out a lot of times on social media and we'll say something mean, something rude, something ugly, and then we'll say, hashtag sorry, not sorry, and then we'll say things, well, I'm just going to speak my mind, I'm just going to speak the truth, and we'll, again, we're just downright rude, angry, and mean, and we try to justify what we are doing and what we are saying because we feel like we are offended. But the Bible says that that's not the way that you and I are supposed to live our lives. In fact, today, today I want to talk to you about letting go of bitterness. Letting go of bitterness. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, the book of Hebrews is kind of a mystery uh, for a lot of reasons. First off, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. You don't have an opening line that says like, I, Paul, or I, Peter, or I, John. You don't have something like that. So we don't really know who the author was. People try to speculate, but we don't know for sure. Then you also don't know who the actual original recipients of this letter We're supposed to be. But if you read the book of Hebrews, it's obvious that the letter was written to some Jesus-believing Jews who were in danger of falling away from the faith. And so look at what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. It says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now let me stop. How many people are we supposed to make every effort to live in peace with? What does that say? Every. What? Every. What? Y'all got y'all paying attention? What does that say? Everyone. Not most people, not some people, not a lot of people. It says make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And to be holy. Why should we be holy? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. It goes on to say... See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, I'm convinced that one of the greatest tools to destroy relationships that our enemy uses is to poison hearts with what the Bible calls this root of bitterness or this bitter root. Think about it. We know that God wants us to love, but what does our enemy want? The enemy doesn't want us to love. The enemy wants to kill love, and he wants to kill intimacy. He wants to plant seeds of offense so that a bitter root will grow up. Think about it. God wants you and I to grow in our trust, but that's not what our enemy wants, right? Our enemy wants to destroy trust. He wants to destroy relationships. So again, he plants seeds of offense so that a bitter root will grow up he'll he'll do everything he can to plant a seed of offense in your heart and in my life in hopes again that a root of bitterness will spring up and it might start out of something small a seed of offense it might start off isn't small. you might be driving your car and you see somebody and you you wave at them right you've been you ever done that you wave at them and then they don't wave back at you and you think oh i know they saw me and so what happens is this seed of offense begins to take 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 hold and a bitter root grows of it, it It might be you sent somebody a text message you sent somebody a text message this must be your friend you sent them a text message it says delivered on your phone and and you it even says read. it even says and you saw the bubbles like they were going to type back to you but then you never got anything in response and so what happens is you get offended anybody anybody ever been there you're like man why ain't they responding to me i don't like them no more Anybody ever do that? Huh? Uh, this, this root of bitterness can take up, could be something small or it could be something really big. Maybe somebody you know, somebody that was close to you really took advantage of you. Maybe somebody you know, somebody who was close to you really betrayed you, really led you. Astray. I mean, I mean, they really, really, really took advantage of you. This real seed of offense has taken root and it has begun to fester in your heart and grow in your heart into a root of bitterness. Well, the thing that I hope you'll understand today, and this is going to be on the screen for you the thing that I'll hope you understand today is that you can't control what happens to you. You can't. but you can control how you respond. You can't control what's said about you. You can't control what people think about you. You can't control what people do to you. But with God's help and by God's power, you can control how you respond. So what's the problem with bitterness? I'm glad you asked. There's two things that I want you to see this morning. Two problems with bitterness. The first problem, if you're keeping notes, you want to write it down. The first problem with bitterness is that bitterness has a dangerous root. Bitterness has a dangerous root. Look at that verse again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what we're told. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Nothing. I think it's interesting that the author of Hebrews here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the word root. Everybody say root. I think it's interesting he uses that word. Now, you might not be like me, but I like to do yard work. Anybody else you like to, like to do yard work? Some of y'all are like, no, it's too hot. But I, I like to do yard work. In fact, my first job, I, about 10 years old, my mom had a push mower. And what would I do in the neighborhood? I would push that mower up and down our road, and I would cut people's yards when I was about 10 years old. That's how I made extra money, right? I would cut grass and I did that for the longest time. But then actually when I got into college, I started working for a landscape company during the summer. So we would cut grass for people's homes. We would cut grass at businesses. We also cut grass at apartment complexes. Well, the company that I worked for was a total a total landscaping uh, business. They were a total landscaping company, which meant that we were also responsible for keeping up the flower beds. And so if you're going to keep up the flower beds, what that means is you have to pull weeds. You got to pull weeds. Now, I I don't know about you. I like to do yard work, but I don't like pulling weeds. Anybody else, you just don't like pulling weeds? Well, why is it important to pull weeds? Why is it important to pull weeds? I hated it because there were times where you would walk up to just this little bitty weed, little bitty weed. You would grab that little bitty weed and you would go to pull it up and you know what would happen? It would break off right at the surface. It would break off right at the surface. And you know what that meant? That meant that that weed was going to grow right back. Why? Because the root system was still there. I, I I hated pulling weeds because of that. But also I hated pulling weeds because there were times where you might grow up, go up to something that was just real small, a little twig stick it up out of the ground, and you would take hold of that thing to go and pull it out of the ground, and that thing, that thing wouldn't move. It'd be like trying to pull Excalibur out of the stone. Some of y'all are like, I don't know what that is. It'd be like trying to pick up Thor's hammer. Y'all know what I mean? It would just seem impossible. It would seem impossible. Why? Because of the root system. Come on, you ever been trying to pull a little weed out of your flower bed? And I mean, you are pulling, you are twisting, the leaves are coming off in your hand, and you're starting to get mad. You're like, I ain't going to let this little weed show me. You. And so you're pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling, but that thing just don't want to come out of the ground, and so you kind of get bitter at it, you know what I mean? Anybody, 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 just me, come pray for me, okay, pray for me, I'm, I'm weird, all right? And again, again, you just can't get that weed out of the ground and you get angry. That's another reason why I hated pulling weeds for that company. Because there were times where you had to go pull weeds by the swimming pool where the girls were. And there ain't nothing manly about walking up to a little twig trying to, hey, yeah, got a strong <laughs> there ain't nothing, you, that There ain't nothing manly about that. They, you can't even pull that little bitty twig out of the ground. man. I hated that roots really are tough. And do you know why roots are tough? Because they spread out. They spread out. How many of you ever heard of something called Pando? Pando, anybody ever heard of something called Pando? It's probably none of us. I'd never heard of it until this past week. So Pando actually comes from a Latin word that means I spread out. I take root. In Pando, you can actually see it. We've got some pictures of it here for you. This is what Pando is. You can see this in Utah. You can see this at Utah, and it's really beautiful. It's really, really, really pretty. At least I think it is. And we look at that and say, man, look at all those trees. But you know what? That's actually not a whole bunch of trees. All of that actually comes from one root system. This is actually the oldest living organism in the world. And it has a root system underground that covers 106 acres. And it grows every year because what happens is one of those roots will sprout up. It's called a suckling. And that thing will will sprout up and it will grow up to 83 feet high. But again, it's all from one root system. I'm telling you, roots are tough. Roots will spread out. And the thing is, you can't see them. Roots are underneath the soil. And roots, when they grow deeper and deeper and deeper, they make it Harder for you to actually get the plant out. That's why the Bible says, see to it. Make sure. Make sure that no bitter root grows up. Why? Because those roots, once those roots have sunk into you, those roots will grow deep. And those roots of bitterness, will they grow in your life? They will actually affect all the other areas of your life and run the risk of messing them up as well. That's why in a flower bed, that's why you want to pull the weeds. Because if you just let the weeds grow you know what, they'll actually kill all the flowers that you wanted to grow there. They'll rob those flowers of the nutrients that they need to grow. And so it's the same way, man. I'm telling you, a bitterness has a dangerous root. It's a root that will rob you of the things that God wants to grow in your life. It's a root that will rob you of all the things that God wants to spring up in your life. And you say, well, that doesn't sound real dangerous. But it is. And I want you to see exactly how dangerous bitterness and harboring unforgiveness can actually be. If you got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter runs up to Jesus and look at what he asks. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you hear that we're supposed to forgive maybe seven times, that sounds like too much, right? I mean, you ever heard that saying "fool me once, shame on, shame on you; fool me twice, I'm gonna punch you in the throat"? Anybody ever heard that? Ever felt that way? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you fool me once, man, that's 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 my fault, man. But hey, you know what? If it keeps on going, man, you know that's just not good. Well, so when Peter says, "Should I forgive him seven times?" he's actually being generous. Because during this time, the religious leaders and the rabbis actually taught that you should only forgive someone three or four times, that that was being gracious. And so when Peter says seven times, he's actually taking the teaching that was, that was prevalent at that time. He's taking that teaching to a whole another level. But look at what Jesus says. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 22. He says, I'll tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some verses say 70 times seven. So what is 70 times seven? That is 490. I'm from Pearl. I don't need a graphing calculator to figure that out. You know what I'm saying? I know that 490 times. So what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that you're supposed to run around with a notebook in your hand and that every time somebody offends you, you write it down, you write it down. And when you look at your kid, you say, kid, you are own number 300. When you look at your your husband or your wife, you say, honey, you are at 489. When you tell somebody that you are working on my last nerve, does that mean they're on 490 and after that you're done with them? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, that is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is actually saying when he says 70 times 7 is he's saying you forgive them as many times as necessary. As many times as necessary. And I didn't really understand what the Bible was saying there until I had experienced deep hurt and deep offense. See, there are times in your life and in my life where somebody will hurt us. When somebody will hurt us, and it might not be a big deal, but it does hurt us, and they'll come to us and they'll apologize. And when they apologize, we're able to forgive them, and then we don't think about it anymore. That, that happens. But then there are some times where there's some real hurt, some deep hurt, some gut-wrenching hurt, some soul Crushing hurt. You experience hurt that you you didn't deserve. Hurt that was unjust. anybody ever ever been ever, anybody ever been there? Anybody? I have. And so it wasn't until I I had experienced that kind of hurt that what Jesus says there began to make sense for me. See, there are some people who have hurt me, and I've forgiven them. I have. I've forgiven them. But sometimes just seeing them. Sometimes just hearing. Their name will cause something to rise up inside of me. Has anyone ever been there? You ever been there? There there are times when I will see them or, or just hear their name. I've forgiven them. But I'll see them or I'll hear them. And this resentment will begin to rise up in me. This bitterness will try to take root. And it's in those times that I have to say, no, I have forgiven them. I forgive them. I forgive them again and again and again. And again I forgive them as many times as necessary. That's how Jesus says forgiveness works for you. And for me, that's how we're supposed to operate. You say, "Why? It's not really a big deal." It is a big deal if you don't live your life that way. It's dangerous. Let me show you how dangerous because Jesus goes on to tell this story in verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought before him. 10,000 bags of gold. I don't know if this man had a gambling problem or what, but how in the world do you get to the point where you owe 10,000 bags of gold? Verse 25, since he was not able to pay The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay this debt. It might sound harsh to you and harsh to me, but during this particular time, if you owed someone a debt and you couldn't pay it, you would actually become a slave. Your wife would become a slave. Your children would become a slave until that debt was paid off. And so verse 26 says, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. And he said, be patient with me. He's begging. And I will pay back everything. let me stop. There's no possible way that this man would have been able to pay back 10,000 bags of gold. It it was impossible. It was was impossible for this to happen. He's really just grasping at straws. He doesn't want to be thrown in jail. doesn't want his wife to be thrown in jail. doesn't want his kids to be sold. He doesn't want any of that. So he's just grasping at straws, saying whatever he can to get out of this mess that he's in. And so look at verse 27. The Bible says the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. And let him go. How many of y'all feel like that'd be a good thing you just kind of call the mortgage company and just kind of beg and then they let it go? A couple people just... I mean, but this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Look at verse 28. It says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him and say, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. This fellow servant says the exact same words that he himself had said. And I wonder as this fellow servant said the exact same words, I wonder if there was a moment in his mind where he went back and thought about what had just happened in his life. Apparently not because look at verse 30. It says, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. So what does this master do to the servant? Hands him over to the jailers to be tortured? So not only is he in prison, not only is he in jail, that'd be bad enough, but he's being tortured. Look at what verse 35 says. This is Jesus. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of who? Each of you. Not just the disciples. Not just the people hearing this originally. But each of you. Each of me, each of us. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The truth is, if you and I don't forgive people, our Heavenly Father is not going to forgive us either. We simply cannot let bitterness take root. It's dangerous. See to it that no bitter root takes hold. Make sure it doesn't happen because bitterness can keep you from being forgiven bitterness can keep you from living the life that god wants you to live bitterness can keep all the things that god wants to pour on your life from coming up this bitterness and this inability to let things go and to forgive and that brings me to the second problem with bitterness not only does it have a dangerous root but bitterness produces a poisonous fruit bitterness produces a poisonous fruit look at verse 15 again in hebrews chapter 12 The Bible says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, bitterness won't just cause you trouble. It'll cause trouble for the people around you. Bitterness won't just defile you. It will defile the people around you. You've heard that old saying that one rotten apple, what does it do? It spoils the bunch, right? It spoils the bunch. And you've probably seen this in the workplace maybe. You ever been in a work environment where there's just one bitter employee? And what does it do to the entire environment? It brings it down, right? It brings it down. It makes the whole work environment toxic maybe you've maybe you've you've had that or experienced that in a family a husband will be bitter a wife will be bitter and so it brings down the emotional level in the entire house see here's what bitterness produces bitterness will dominate you mentally it will it will dominate dominate you mentally you won't be able to enjoy the things that you use to enjoy because it's consuming your thoughts you'll be thinking about how you can get even uh, man, I heard a, I heard a story about this man who got bit by a dog. And when he went to the, the to the to the hospital, they found out the dog was in had, had rabies had been infested with rabies. And so now the man had rabies. And this was before a cure had been developed. And so the doctor comes into the man. He says, "Look, uh, I don't really want to give you any false hope." He said, "We're going to try to make you as comfortable as we can." He said, "But my advice to you would be to get your affairs in order." And so, as you can imagine, man just just depression and sadness really really sank in and shock sank in in this this man's life well he finally mustered up enough strength to ask for a pen and a paper and so once he got the pen and the paper he began just writing furiously and writing furiously and so the doctor went out well the doctor comes back an hour later and that man is still still writing and so the doctor says man i see that you took my advice i see i see that you took my advice or I, I assume that you're writing your will and this man who'd been bitten by a dog and had rabies said this ain't no will I'm, I'm making a list of all the people I want to bite before I die. That's funnier than y'all laugh, man. That's better. But again, there are times where people have been hurt and we let that hurt consume our thoughts. Bitter people are those who have been bitten and because they can't let it go, they channel all of their energy into snapping back at others. Bitterness will make you permanently angry. It will carve deep lines on your face and it will add heaviness to your steps. Bitterness will dominate you mentally, but it will also depress you emotionally. It'll depress you. It will debilitate you physically. It will cause your blood pressure to rise. It will cause your heart to beat faster. It will give you anger. It will do that. But its end goal for bitterness is to destroy you Spiritually. Folks, that's what Satan wants. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy you. I'm telling you, the fruit that bitterness produces is poisonous, and the enemy wants you to consume it. He wants me to consume it. He wants us to eat it. That's why we've got to do what we're told to do in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Check this out. Look at what the Bible says. It says, Get rid of All bitterness. How much? All. Get rid of all bitterness. Not a lot, not some, not most. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. The next verse says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You say, but Robert, that's hard. I know that it's hard. But you know what I love about God? What I love about God is that God never asked you to do something that He wouldn't do. I love love that that Jesus never asked you to do something that He Himself didn't do. See, I, I love how everything in the Bible is connected and in psalm 69 there is something that is referred to as a messianic prophecy what that means is that this verse is something that will be fulfilled through the person and work of jesus christ it could be fulfilled later on or it could have already been fulfilled and so this is a verse that's already been fulfilled but look at psalm 69 verse 21 the bible says this that they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Again, this is referring to something that was fulfilled when Jesus walked this earth. But I'm not a real smart guy. And so I wonder, what in the world is gall? Anybody anybody, like, what is gall? The only time I ever heard gall is when it had another word after it called gallbladder. They're just saying they gave Jesus a gallbladder to eat. What are they saying right there? That's not what it means. Gall actually comes from a Hebrew word. A Hebrew word that is called Marah, and that word is translated bitterness. Bitterness. So what that verse says is that they put bitterness in his food. Not only that, but they gave him vinegar for his thirst. Now, this vinegar that they put in his thirst is not like the vinegar that you and I go and buy down at the store. This is referring to sour wine, bitter wine. So you got to see this, and, and I'm wrapping up. I'm almost done. It's going to take me a little minute. But y'all stay with me because this, is, this, this touched me. I want you to think about who Jesus was. Who was Jesus? Jesus was fully God but he was also fully man. He was fully God and fully man. Fully God, fully man. And what happened was he entered into the ministry at age 30. And so for three years years he had a ministry and for three years the religious leaders and pharisees and sadducees they hated him and they did everything that they could to discredit him and so when they found out that they couldn't discredit him they said you know what we're just we're just gonna kill him we're just gonna kill him again i'm 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 wrapping up they just said we're gonna we're gonna kill him and so it wasn't just the religious leaders who plotted his death it was even some of those closest to jesus that plotted his death. you remember Judas? Judas, one of the 12, went to the Pharisees, went to the religious leaders, and said, what will you give me if I betray him? They said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. He said, all right, it's done. And so what happens is Jesus gathers all of his disciples together for something called the Last Supper. But before they have the Last Supper, what Jesus does is Jesus actually gets down on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet, all of them, even the one who Jesus knew was going to betray him. He got down and very lovingly washed his feet. After that, what Jesus did was he served them a meal, very lovingly. He served them, even the person who was about to betray him. And so after Jesus serves this meal, what happens is Judas gets up from the table and Judas leaves, and Jesus asks the disciples to go with him to pray. And you know where they go to pray? They go to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, will you pray with me? And so Jesus goes over and he starts to pray, and you know what the disciples do? The disciples fall asleep. Jesus comes back, he catches them asleep. He's like, could you not pray with me for one hour? They've let him down. And so he says, pray with me. And he goes to pray again. And you know what happens as Jesus is praying again? They've just been reprimanded, falling asleep. You know what they do? They fall asleep again. So Jesus comes over to them and he wakes them up basically so they can watch him be arrested. He says, the son of man is betrayed. And Judas, one of the 12, walks over to Jesus with soldiers who have clubs in hand. Swords in hand, Judas kisses Jesus. He betrays Christ with a kiss. With a kiss. And Jesus is arrested, and all the disciples scatter and go running. Well, Jesus is put on trial. And it's a joke of a trial. It's a it's a, it's not fair at all. And he's condemned to die. But before they kill him, you know what they do to him? They take a crown of thorns. And they place that crown of thorns on his head and they take a rod and they literally beat that crown deep into his skull and then they flog him with a cat nine tails what's that it's a wooden handle that's got nine leather strips coming out of it and at the end of each one of those leather strips is metal is bone is glass and glass and what that cat nine tail was meant to do was that with every lash that went into jesus every lash whenever they would pull it back It went deep into his muscle and deep into his tendons so that when they would pull it back, it would rip muscle and tendons from his bones. And after they did that, they grabbed the clothes that were on him and they ripped them from his body. Those clothes that had just been beaten deep into his skin. Causing more pain as those are being ripped from him. More suffering. And they mocked him. They'd hit him. They'd say, Jesus, why don't you prophesy who hit you there? They spit on him. Then they forced him to carry his cross to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where he's ultimately going to be killed and crucified. And as he carried his cross through the city, the the ridicule continued. People would throw things at him, people would spit at him, and he finally gets to the place of the skull I mean the Romans had perfected crucifixion they had perfected it in such a way that a person would 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 endure the maximum amount of pain and suffering possible without passing out and so they they nail they nail nails through his wrist they they nail nails through his through his feet through his through his ankles and they raise him up on a cross and most scholars don't believe that he was way he was raised way up in the air. They think it was just to where everybody in the crowd could see his head. And they did that strategically so that people could come by, little kids could come by with a stick and poke him. So that grown men could go and urinate on his feet. Again, mocking him. Our king. Every time Jesus needed to breathe, he would have to pull himself up And when he would do that, man, it would just cause more pain. More pain as he he pulled against those nails to get breath. And he's between two criminals. And even one of those criminals begins to mock him. And ridicule him. I don't know about you guys. But if that was me, in that moment, I'd be tempted to be angry. I'd be tempted to to want vengeance. I'd be tempted to be bitter. I wouldn't. And think about it. All that Jesus has endured, he's thirsty. He even says from the cross, I'm thirsty. And so you know what they do? In Matthew chapter 27 verse 34, this is fulfillment of the verse we read in Psalm 69. It says that they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after he tasted it, he refused to drink it. Don't miss this. What did they offer Jesus to drink? Bitterness. Bitterness. You need to see this. Jesus had the opportunity to drink bitterness, to consume Bitterness, But the Bible says that after he tasted it, he refused to drink it. And you know what this shows me? It shows me that in this world, you and I are going to taste bitterness. People are going to hurt you. People are going to hurt you intentionally. People are going to accidentally hurt you. You're going to have many trials and many troubles and some of the hurt that you experience is going to be real. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt you to your core. You're going to taste bitterness. I'm going to taste it. We're all going to taste it. The question is, once we've tasted it, will we drink it? Again, you got to understand, Jesus is thirsty at this moment. He wants something to drink. He needs something to drink. He's dehydrated. And this is what's offered to him. And I believe for you and also for me that in life, there are going to be times where we're going to be so thirsty for bitterness. So thirsty to get revenge. But it's in those moments that you and I have a choice. Because remember what I said at the beginning of the message, you can't control what happens to you, but you can re- control how you respond. We will taste bitterness. And when we taste it, we've got a choice. The says Jesus tasted it. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. Folks, not only did Jesus refuse to drink it. (laughs) He's looking at the very people who have hurt him beyond our comprehension to understand. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And Jesus understood bitterness has a dangerous fruit. He understood that bitterness produces dangerous fruit. My question is do you understand that? Do I understand that? Because if we do, if we did, we'd know that we gotta let it go. We'd know that a bitter life is no way to live bitter life is no way to live your life. There's a better way. Again, Ephesians 4 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. Is there some bitterness that you need to let go of today? You want to hold on to a little bit of it. Maybe just a a little. It says, get rid of all. Don't let a bitter root grow up. Get rid of it all. Do you need to let go of something today? Don't wait till tomorrow. I'm telling you, bitterness has a dangerous root that produces a poisonous fruit. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk. But I wonder today, in this moment there's somebody here maybe two people three people you came in here carrying some hurt you came in here carrying some pain that's grown into a root of bitterness I'm telling you and there's no way to live your life so maybe you're here today and you know you need to get rid of all of it you need to let some things go you need to forgive some people it could be somebody who's close to you somebody you trusted a spouse a friend but today again you want to let it go Not just to forgive them in this moment. I don't want you to to think that after you do this, that it's just going to go away. Jesus says 70 times 7. Forgive as many times as necessary. But today you can start. Today we can uproot this branch of bitterness. And so if that's you today, you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm going to ask that just right where you are, you raise your hand. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I got some things I need to let go of. A lot of hands. I see those hands. Amen. Amen, a lot of people. Father, I pray today that you would help us to do what your word says. Help us to realize that you wouldn't ask us to do something that's not possible. Today, we can let it go empower us with your Holy Spirit to do just that. As we continue to pray, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today if maybe you came in you've just been angry and upset all your life. You don't know God as your personal Savior. Let me tell you, God loves you so much that he died for you so that you could receive forgiveness. You think, man, what I have done is unpardonable. It's unforgivable. No, it's not. He died for all of us. All of our sins. And so if the first step in your life towards being able to let go some of the things that have happened in your past is that you become a new being right now. A new person. The scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new being. The old has gone, the new has come. And so if you know you need to take that step right now and give your heart to Christ, you need to be saved. I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me. Save. I confess you as Lord and you as Savior. Right now, make me into a new person. Not a better version of the old me, but a completely new person. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Help me live for all the days of my life. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder if you prayed that prayer, if you'd do me a favor. Just right where you are, would you just lift your hand so I can know that the Holy Spirit's moving? Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Father, for new life. Father, I just also believe that Your word tells us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So right now, as we continue in worship, maybe there's some things that you'd like to cast at the feet of Jesus. I want you to know that our altars are open, that you can come and pray, that you can come and you can let some things